Well, good morning. Um, it is lovely to be with you all. And as has been said in a few ways already, we are in this series of really big, really big questions. Um, thank you for adjusting me. Yeah, we're in a series of really big questions. Um, uh, last week, Kate spoke, I think, outstandingly on a big question, is God male? And uh, maybe you saw the Instagram, uh, the St. Matthias Instagram that, uh, a week ago leading up to that talk uh, saying, is God male? Just was the, the saying, indicating that's what we would be talking about. I reposted that on my own Instagram uh, and got some interesting responses from some friends. Someone said, stirring the, cl- stirring the pot, Clark. I like it. hope it goes well. Uh, someone else responded with quite simply just saying, are you mad? <laughs> Uh, I'm not entirely sure what he had in mind, but that's what he was asking me. Um, So we're exploring some big questions that I think don't always get offered from pulpits around the world, but I'm so certain they are questions that do emerge in the reality of lived lives uh, of Christians around the globe. Um, And I think it's such a good, such a privilege for us to be able to know that we can bring our questions to God, not just our like polished, neat questions, but our real, honest, unpolished uh, questions. We can bring those questions to God. And uh, when I look at the Bible, and we see so many people crying out to God with these questions and all sorts of questions. And I think uh, if the God of the Bible is real, I think this God would not only be able to handle those questions, our honest, real questions, but I think this God might actually invite those questions. I think this God, I think... Rather than seeing these big questions as something of a bug in the system, we could see it as something of a feature of faith. Rather than sort of our questions being something eroding away at the good stuff of faith. But what if our questions are part of the design? Part of the way we draw closer to God. We know more of what God is like. And we have kindled in us love and affection for God. And we become more like God in our own lives. I wonder if these big questions are part of the way to become more like Christ. So today we're going to be looking at another big question. Um, And so as with the last few weeks, we have a lot of ground to cover. Uh, So buckle up um, and let's get cracking. Let's jump in. Our question for today is, is God just? Is God just? I wonder if you've ever asked this question, maybe with different words or in a different form. I wonder if, uh, like me, when you've watched the news over the last couple years with incredibly violent and brutal wars in Ukraine and the Middle East, maybe as you've seen, yet again, the disturbing images of innocent people suffering, hurting, bleeding, crying out to loved ones. Maybe then, like me, you've wondered, where is God in this mess? Is God good? Is God just? Is God fair? Maybe, maybe when you've encountered that awful call from a doctor or when you've got a terrible message on a family WhatsApp group about unexpected health loss from someone you love. Or maybe when you've cried out to God for years and years and years and you get to that place when you have no more prayer to pray, no more tears to cry. Maybe when your life was confronted in one way or another, with the ways that this world is stubbornly broken and frustratingly unfair. 
Maybe you found yourself in those moments not asking questions, but giving accusations to the heavens, telling God, you are not fair, you are not just. I say all this just to remind us and to help us acknowledge with a question like this, that for some, in some moments of life, it's, a, it's an intellectual exercise. It's a, a question uh, that we answer as a matter of theory and ideas. But for other people, or for other stages of life, for perhaps all of us, the questions that we ask, this question is a question that we ask that emerges out of perhaps the dark night of the soul, when all pretense and posing is stripped away, such as the nature of a question like this. So what do we even mean when we say justice? What is justice? It might mean, it might be that we just, uh, I think sometimes it's easier to know injustice than justice. Uh, I know for sure our uh, three-year-old Cassidy, uh, she has not needed to read any books on justice theory to be able to stand with her hands on her hips and stomping her feet, shouting at daddy saying, it's not fair because she wasn't allowed to watch another episode of Bluey or whatever it was. But I think it's helpful for us to think a bit more precisely about what is justice? What does it mean when we talk about God or someone or something being just? Um, in the Bible, it says in Isaiah 30, verse 18, for example, uh, it says that the Lord is a God of justice. And in fact, this idea, this notion of justice appears more in the, in the Bible than something like prayer, which is quite interesting to think about. We're going to jump into Psalm 89. It's going to be our key text for today. I'm going to read a few verses from Psalm 89. Uh, it'll be on, behind me, I think, but if you've got your Bibles or if you want to look on your phone, please feel free to follow along with me. So Psalm 89, verse 1 says, I will sing the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. If we jump to verse 5. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies, can, uh, uh, skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? Verse 11. The heavens are yours and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. You created the north and the south. Tabor and Hermon sing for joy at your name. Your arm is endowed with power and your hand is strong and your right hand exalted. And verse 14 says this, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned uh, to claim you, uh, who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. This is a psalm, if you have a look at the whole psalm, where the psalmist is trying to identify and sing about and talk about uh, different characteristics of God. Trying to identify what is this God, this creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things, what is this God like? Because if this God is so powerful, it's interesting because that would, that would really matter what this God is like. And isn't it interesting that right in the heart of this psalm, it says that at the foundations of what this God is like and at the foundation of the rule and reign of this God is justice and righteousness. And they 
do what uh, is quite common in the language of Hebrew, which is uh, the, most of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And what's quite, they don't have uh, as many words in their vocabulary as we do in English. And one of the things that often happens in Hebrew uh, is they'll pair. They do this Hebrew pairing of words together so that one idea is communicated through two words put together where we get a fully, f- a more comprehensive understanding of what's being communicated. And one word helps us understand the other word, and this word helps us understand this word. So, let's do a bit of Hebrew together for a moment. I know some of you will be like, yes, some of you will be like, what am I doing? But let's jump in. So, let's look at justice. The Hebrew word for justice is the the word mishpat. Can you say to the person next to you, mishpat? Isabel Hamley, in her book, Embracing Justice, says that gives this definition. Mishpat comes from the word for judging. It has judicial connotations and is often used in the context of courts and judgment. But more widely, it is about putting things right, intervening in an unjust situation and fixing it. It is an active kind of word, one that prompts action. So this word, mishpat, comes from a legal context. Think of judges and law courts situations. Um, But uh, stay with me. I know for most of us, that sort of idea is a boring one. Uh, today we might see the idea of judges or as rule enforcers, interpreting and uh, applying laws from big, boring books. Apologies if there's any judges or lawyers in the room. Uh, but in the biblical context, so about 3,000 years ago, we have this book in our Bible called Judges, telling the story of a number of different judges. They functioned more as leaders for society where they had to seek the wisdom and guidance of God and make big decisions. And those decisions, the way they acted in that society, would influence and change society and either um, set up the conditions for flourishing for people or not. And there'd be suffering. And so that, that is the role of a judge in the Bible. And so when it talks about justice, that's that context. And so I give uh, the definition, I'll give this definition of what it means to pursue justice. To take, to take action, to make things right for the flourishing of all. Secondly, righteousness. Say to the person next to you, Sadaka. Sadaka. Um, so let's read from Isabel Hambly again. She says, Sadaka, in contrast, often translates righteousness, but the word isn't very helpful, given it isn't an everyday word. It refers to something being straight, right, in accordance with the norm. But when applied to people, it implies something deeply relational. Conformity to the demands of a situation or configuration to a right relation. Uh, sorry, configuration of a, re- of a relationship. It is inherently a communal word. So the irony here in our context is that we have this word in our Bibles, righteousness. But it means I think often in sort of contemporary parlance and the way that we might hear and use that word, it's sort of used in negative ways. It's sort of, uh, you know, to say something judgy and negative about something, well, they looked a bit righteous. Uh, Or it's used in the sense of self-righteousness, the sense of individual uh, kind of not doing bad things, not doing things that are wrong. But in the Hebrew, tzedakah is a word that talks about the goodness or the rightness in the space between things, or goodness and rightness in the web of relationships in between things. So I think we can understand tzedakah in the Hebrew mindset to be a life of right relationships, a life of right relationships. 
So those, that's our first step, looking at some of these Hebrew words in the Bible. But let's dig a bit deeper to try to get even more precise with our understanding of justice. Uh, there are all sorts of ways of doing this, but I think what I want to offer today is uh, analyzing justice and this idea of justice in a particular way. Uh, there are two uh, very prominent ways of understanding justice in our contemporary culture today. Uh, it often isn't kind of talked about explicitly, but sits behind and sits implicitly within a lot of politics, with a lot of uh, things that we might think or believe. So it's prominent in the world today. And I think, depending on what we're, our thinking around these two frameworks, it'll, impl it'll have implications for you from what you think about parenting to how you, what you think about prisons. Uh, so we'll start with a the theory. I promise then we'll get on to talking more about the Bible and the implication for what this means for how we interpret the Bible. We'll then get to our question of what does this mean in terms of is God just? And finally, a few quick reflections for our own personal lives. So two fundamentally different ways of conceiving of justice. Um, now, these two views, <clears throat> excuse me, are not completely mutually exclusive, but you'll find people sort of gravitate to one or the other. And we will not all agree in this room of which is the quote-unquote right way to understand justice. Uh, so you might not agree with me. You might be wrong, and that's okay. Uh, I'm just kidding. But we're going to have different opinions in this room, and that's okay. It's okay for us to think differently about this. But I want to offer, some, uh, some, offer the, the framework for us to think more precisely about it. So first we have what we might call retributive justice. Within this framework, justice is viewed as a form of retaliation, a form of retribution, a form of punishment in response to wrongdoing. So retributive justice is rooted in the concept of the balancing scales. Maybe you're familiar with that picture of Lady Justice holding out the scales that are to be balanced by justice. There's this idea of just desserts, getting what you deserve, and uh, some people who believe in re retributive justice might believe that when there's punishment and when there's an appropriate punishment, then the person who's, who did the wrongdoing is then absolved or atoned for from their original mis misbehavior. On the other hand, we have what we could call restorative justice. Now, unlike retributive justice, this paradigm focuses on repairing the harm caused by wrongdoing and seeks to restore relationships between the offender and the affected parties. This approach of restorative justice incorporates healing, reconciliation, rehabilitation, and addressing the root causes of the misconduct, rather than just emphasizing punishment. So one example, uh, to kind of compare and contrast these two, imagine uh, a student at a school, she, uh, vandalizes a big wall and spray paints something really rude and uh, unkind to one of her peers. Under the retributive framework, this, uh, this student uh, might be punished through detention or having to miss school or having some privileges taken away from her. But with the restorative framework, the student might be required to spend time cleaning or repairing the wall or to do something, whether it's apologizing to rebuild the relationship with the person that she's offended and hurt. So hopefully the kind of analogy makes sense of the different approaches between uh, restorative justice and retributive justice. Now some of you still might be thinking, what does this have to do with the Bible and my faith and my life? Great question. A few years ago, um, 
I heard Tim Mackey, who's a, a theologian from the United States. He's the theologian uh, behind the Bible Project, which many of you might uh, be aware of. And I heard him explaining the story of the Bible that has changed my understanding of the Bible ever since. And so I want to offer something of that to you. So one way of understanding the story of the Bible is like this. So here's, if we jump to the next slide. Excuse me. So there's me, for example, or you, but I'll say me. And I'm on earth, and I live my life. Uh, so next slide. And sometimes I do good things, and I'm above the, the line, and sometimes I'm kind to my wife and I'm patient with my children and then the other 23 hours of the day I'm below the line and and then sometimes I'm above and then I'm below the line and then and I live my life uh, and we live our lives and then at the end of the game God's going to close the curtain on human history and based whether we've been good enough or bad or depending on the belief system what we believe to be true about Jesus um then we have a destiny that's either, if we go to the next slide, the good place or the bad place. Uh, the good place, heaven, and the bad place being what's the reciprocal other in this story, heaven or hell. Someone brave enough to say the word. And so in this story, heaven and hell are sort of the reciprocal pairing. And in this story, justice, I would say, next slide please, justice is understood to be there. The sense of we, we know that God is just because eventually God is going to come and bring punishment and reward in that form, in that shape. Some of you might be saying, yep, that's what I believe, that's what the Bible says, and that's fine. Again, we might just have difference of opinion because I don't actually think this is the best way of understanding the story of the Bible. Another way of understanding it, and of course also another way of understanding justice, is that the story starts off, next slide please, that the story starts with heaven and, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So you see, right from Genesis through to Revelation, I would argue the biblical pairing is heaven and earth. So you start off the story with heaven and earth, these two different realms and realities overlapping and integrated. And then because of human rebellion, because of the way we rebel against God and uh, God's definition of good and evil, heaven and earth are ripped apart in a terrible way. And the story of the Bible, very much with Jesus at the center of it, is God's redeeming, restoring work to heal creation, to put heaven and earth back together. Next slide, please. Yeah. Or to use Jesus' language, on earth as it is in heaven. The theological or theologians would say that Jesus announced and inaugurated this process of God's kingdom breaking into the world. And, that it, and it will one day be finally complete. On the last pages of Scripture in our Bible, we see that heaven will arrive in complete form on earth. And the, the image that is used in those last pages is that it looks a little bit like a bride arriving for a waiting groom. And in this story, the justice is seen in that, heaven and earth overlapping. It's seen in God restoring and healing all of creation. In the first story, I would argue that the focus is all on me, the individual, and the direction of travel is from earth to somewhere else. But in the second story, in this version, the stage of the drama of history is here. This world, this universe, this creation that God so dearly loves and still loves. And the focus of that story is somehow mysteriously 
God being at work in this world, in this creation, not least of which in and through God's church, renewing and restoring all things. So is God just? Is God just? Maybe for you, even with me presenting these two sort of frameworks, uh, the first one, I, I should have said, the first one I think uh, correlates well with, in my understanding, retributive justice. And the second story and vision of the Bible, I think, correlates well with a restorative understanding of justice. And so maybe for you, as I've kind of tried to explain these, and um, maybe for you still, in the realities of your life, you feel, actually, I still don't feel like God is just. Maybe others in this room, it's the first story, and that really resonates for you. And lo looking ahead to that moment of God's punishment and reward is a, is a sense that really resonates for you in terms of God's justice. But for me personally, I find this second story incredibly uh, compelling and hope-giving. The sense that as I sit, when I see all the brokenness in the world, when I come up against people suffering under the boots of injustice in one way or another, it gives me such a deep hope that God is at work in this world, putting things to right, and that one day he will complete uh, this work, and that, that image in the revelation of every tear being wiped away. And this world will be so deeply renovated and transformed by the love of God that we will call it a new creation, is the biblical language. So that's my answer to, is God just? But not only... Do I find this compelling and hope-giving vision for the future? But I find this story, I find it incredibly, I find it an invitation to each one of us. An invitation to participate in God's healing, in this restorative work in the world. So yes, the Bible speaks again and again and again, saying God is just, and uh, it's part of God's character to be just, and uh, this is who God is. But again and again and again, the Bible invites us and demands that we step into lives of pursuing and caring about justice. I'll read from the same verse we read right at the beginning of our gathering. Uh, I'll read from the message. Amos says this in Amos chapter 5, I can't stand your religious meetings. This is why a paraphrase, but this is what it says in the Bible. I'm fed up with your conferences and your conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had, it, I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. Or perhaps the NIV translation is what we read this morning already. But, I, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream, is verse 24. Here God, through the voice of Amos, this prophet in the Old Testament, gives us an incredibly stirring challenge. And I wonder if I paraphrase the paraphrase. I wonder if Amos might say to us, uh, your, your music, your hospitality, your play cafe, your youth cafe, your singing, your dancing, the, all the things that you do as a community. I've had enough of it. I'm done with it. It doesn't interest me unless it's also creating people who care about justice. Unless it's also fashioning in us people who pursue justice in all its forms in life. Um, 
It says, justice and only justice you shall pursue in Deuteronomy 16. The, uh, the late Tim Keller said, if you are trying to live a life in accordance with the Bible, the concept and call to justice are inescapable. I wanted to spend some time just kind of giving some space to personally reflect on this. Um, we will have some time, I believe, I think we're going to be doing communion in a moment. Um, and in and around that, maybe there's some space for you to personally reflect on what does this mean for you? Um, of course, talking about it would be a whole sermon series in and of itself. But it's an ongoing journey as part of our discipleship following Jesus, working out what does it mean for each one of us, for us as a community, to care about justice in, in the way that I think God is inviting us to. I'd love to close by offering a what's called the Franciscan blessing. Uh, if you're willing and able, would you stand? Uh, maybe some of you are familiar with this prayer. Um, I'm going to offer it sort of uh, in the form of a blessing over us. If you're willing and able, would you close your, close your eyes and receive this in, in a way that feels helpful to you and what God the Spirit might be saying and doing to you? May God bless us with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths and superficial relationships, so that we may live deep within our hearts. May God bless us with anger at injustice, oppression and exploitation of people, so that we may work for justice, freedom and peace. May God bless us with tears to shed for those who suffer pain. Rejection, hunger, and war. So we may reach out our hands to comfort others and to turn their pain into joy. And may God bless us with enough foolishness to believe that we can make a difference in this world so we can do what others claim cannot be done and bring justice and kindness to all our children and the poor. Amen.